You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We'll be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hey, remain standing for one second. Um, I'm going to go through what we confess this morning and... Our five- to nine-year-olds will be answering this question. What do we believe by true faith? And so with me, here's the answer. Christ, by his obedience and death, fully released the debt of all those that are justified. Seated. Obviously, there's more to that answer. That's a little bit of what our kids will be going through this morning. So, kids, you are dismissed. Thank you to those who are serving in Redemption Hill Kids this morning. Thanks for serving our kids so well. Well, happy Labor Day to you all. It's good to see you. Hopefully, nobody's going to be in labor or laboring on Labor Day. No, none of that. Bad joke, dad joke? No. Clearly, I need to up my dad joke game. It's pretty bad. All right, for kids that are in, we've got sermon notes in the hallway, also totes as well, if that serves you. Well, for those of you who are on the mailing list, you got an email of the liturgy for today. And uh, with that liturgy page comes, obviously, the songs that we sing and the passage that we're in. And uh, as you can tell, uh, a little bit of shift this morning. Right? We've been in the Gospel of Matthew, we've been in the Sermon of the Mount, 20 plus sermons. Uh, we'll get back into that. But over the last several weeks, and perhaps more than a month, I, I've sensed the need to remind the church of some foundational principles of Redemption Hill Church. Uh, for some of you who joined Redemption Hill after we moved to Radiant, this location, you might be hearing some thoughts from me for the first time. But my guess, you at least have heard in part what we're all about, right? And reminders are good and healthy. Reminders can help recalibrate our thoughts in a specific direction. 
Uh, reminders can provide clarity, right? Taking a moment to hear and receive reminders is an excellent opportunity, in my opinion, to kind of step back and ask some bigger questions as well. Questions like, what, what is the mission and vision of Redemption Hill Church, right? I think that'd be a great question to ask and kind of sort through. How about this question? This projects a little more. What can you, what can I expect from Redemption Hill five years down the road, ten years down the road? Man, would this be a church that exists a hundred years, 150 years if the Lord tarries and does not come back down the road, right? These are good questions, and there's, there are other questions we could ask, but these questions need to be filtered through passages like Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. I think a plan for any, um, any organization, whether it be a church or a business or even a home, I think plans are essential. A pastor without a plan is like a boat without a rudder. Uh, without a rudder, the ship will wander in the waters aimless and without direction. Therefore, I think plans are, are good. But a plan and the details of any plan especially in particular of a church, are always submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So over the next several weeks, I want to lay out the direction of the church, but I want to do so with the complete awareness that the Lord can adjust a plan and even grab this plan and chuck it into the garbage if he so wants to, right? So here's what I plan to do. As you can tell, I'm hitting the pause button on our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I anticipate getting back to that sermon series in October. But in September, I will be preaching on a statement that I want us to take to heart. And I'm asking you to perhaps even personalize the statement. Here's the statement. All of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. Now, this is going to be a short topical sermon series. However, I will be preaching exegetically, right from the text. The Bible is always driving what is communicated from the pulpit. I mentioned this statement in my sermon series on my sermon on the kingdom of heaven. And this statement, as you can tell, has three parts: all of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. What am I attempting to communicate with this statement? Let's take them one at a time. First, all of Christ. I will be preaching from Colossians chapter 3 this morning to help you grasp the depth of what it means for Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, to consume every aspect of your life. I've made statements like this before. If you were a member of Redemptional Church when we went through the book of Ephesians, in particular Ephesians 1, you're going to be hearing some similar, some similar themes. So, all of Christ. Second one, for all of life. I want to show, I'm going to attempt to show next Sunday from Holy Scripture what it looks like to be a Christian that lives faithfully until you are with the Lord. I'm guessing when I preach that sermon, some of your minds may wander to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is very much about this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. But one aspect I want to tease out next week 
is that living faithfully before the Lord, day after day, week over week, year over year, results in leaving a Christ-focused and Christ-centered legacy. In other words, what are you doing right now and tomorrow to affect the people behind you, the generations behind you for Christ? You all are going to die, right? Unless the Lord does come back. You will die. So what are you doing now? What are you anticipating to do tomorrow to leave a Christian legacy for Christ? So all of Christ for all of life. Third, for all of the Des Moines metro. Again, I'm going to look at Holy Scripture and see what it means to be a good and godly presence as a church in our community. What does it mean to be a church that is for all of the Des Moines metro. What are we doing to be salt and light, right? We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. As I, as I said, I'm not going to say anything new, but I'm hoping that this sermon will allow us to continue to build and grow. So, all of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines metro. Now, for the record, because I'm not that bright, I didn't make this little statement up. It's like anything else, you just kind of borrow or steal from someone else. But I, but I like what is being communicated with that pithy little statement. And it is an entry point to remind ourselves of precious truths as to why this church exists. Now finally, on the last Sunday of September, um, I'll present a summation of why Redemption Hill Church exists, which will transition into all of us talking about how to apply all of Christ. How do we apply living for Christ for all of your life, right? How do we apply being a gospel presence in the Des Moines metro. Now, I'm going to share some plans, but honestly, I want to hear from you as well. I want to hear from you. What are your ideas about how to implement the vision of Redemption Hill Church? And you know, I'm going to do my level best to persuade you of this Christ-centered vision for Redemption Hill. And if you buy what I'm going to sell, then you need to be prepared to act upon it. One final thought, and then I'll dive in to the deep end of Colossians 3. I know I preach to people uh, who've been on board um, with Redemption Hill since October 28th, 2018. That was our first service on top of a coffee shop in Adel. And many of you have joined since that date. But regardless of when you got into the boat, I'm grateful you're here, and I'm looking forward to rowing that boat with you. So that's a big picture of what's going on in the next several weeks in the month of September. Now what we really need to hear this morning is from God. So let's pray and then dive right in. Heavenly Fathers, we read in your word there is indeed, and we sang this, there's no one like you. And so we come and we submit ourselves to what you've already spoken. And so help us, help us in our minds and our hearts to sort through these precious truths which you have said. Lord, help us to apply. Lord, we can be in our heads so much and know what's right, but Lord, find it difficult to walk out what you've said. And so I pray with the help from the Spirit that that would indeed happen this morning. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the book of Colossians was written to the city of Colossae. Colossae was located in Asia, about 120 miles from the bigger city, uh, Ephesus, right? 
It's likely Paul who wrote the book of Colossians, never visited Colossae, but he knew enough about the church to see an urgency to write. Why did Paul write? That's the question. Why the urgency? You've never been there. Sure, you know the names, but you've never seen the faces. It's not like he was on Facebook or Instagram, right? He wrote because false teaching crept into the church. The concern was that new followers of Jesus Christ were being led astray. So long story short, a wolf got into the sheep pen, and Paul needed to protect, through this letter, the sheep of God. Here's the tension in a nutshell. We read in Colossians 2, the previous chapter. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's, the, that's what was being taught. That's the good, right? And then next verse. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul writes because of the tension that we read right here in Colossians 2. I mean, not much changes, right? I preach with the same urgency sometimes because false teaching exists. The Colossian church was taught that they are in Christ, and therefore they need to go all in on declaring Christ as Lord. They needed to go all in on living for the Lord. And however, a different teaching was being taught. So what does it mean to go like all in for Christ? Let's say you're, you're sitting at a poker table. I'm not a poker player, not a gambler. But let's say you're sitting at a poker table and sitting in front of you is a stack of cash. What will it take for you to go all in for Christ? What will it take for you to put all the money in the middle for Christ? Now, giving money to Christ is not the point I'm obviously trying to make. I'm trying to dig a little deeper. What we see from Colossians 3 is that you have been saved by Christ and to Christ. The moment God declared you justified, your nature and purpose in life radically changed. Radically changed. Your nature went from being a child of wrath to being a child, a son or daughter of God. Your purpose in life is now all of Christ. Every fiber of your body, every cell, every atom should be devoted and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've always appreciated uh, sports analogies when I was a coach, I could often identify like three groups of athletes. Uh, one group, there's always a group of athletes committed to the coach, committed to the mission, committed to their teammates, right? Like totally 100%. When you tell this group Jesus is Lord, they say yes and amen, and what do we do next, you know? Uh, the second group of athletes is like semi-committed, but they can be coached to a place where they see the value of being 100% committed. Uh, this group of people puts half of their chips in the middle, but you got to like help them be like, no, you, you can go all in. This is a good thing. And then there's a third group of people where they just kind of go through the motions. Uh, this group shows up for various reasons, but they're not all in. It's clear. The prospect of anyone but themselves being Lord over their life is like a tough pill to swallow. 
regarding your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to be in that first group. Go all in. I want you to see what it means to go all in for Jesus. I want you to see why from Colossians 3, why you go all in. As we read, uh, as John read Colossians 3, I wonder if you saw a bunch of contrasts. They're filled with contrasts, and they're meant to help you put in perspective your relationship with Christ. It helps you see why a Christian needs to be 100% devoted to Christ. Jesus calls you to focus on things, not on the things of this earth, right? Verse 2. Now we'll talk about what that means here in a moment. Here's the second contrast from this passage. You are to live in the reality that you have a new self, which means you had an old self. You are called, Christian, to fight against the earthly things that, re- that result in living like the old self. But your new self has resulted in you being set apart for Christ. What God has done in Christ is create a people set apart for himself. The relationship between a Christian and Christ, it's intimate. It's so close in proximity, it is impossible to separate the Christian from Christ. A Christian has all of Christ for all of life. Look at verses 1 to 3, where we read how a Christian goes from one state of being to an entirely new state of being. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is essential to see that death needs to take place for you to have life. There is no point in discussing things above or considering what it means to have a new self unless you have spiritually died, right? The spiritual reality of death leading to life can be seen all around God's creation even, right? Uh, We are several months away from, from winter, And during the winter, things die. (laughs) Right now, the trees are green with leaves, maybe slowly turning at this point. But it will not be long when the trees have no leaves until what? Next spring, right? Caterpillars are another excellent example of death leading to life. The caterpillar eventually makes a cocoon and dies and leads to the life of a butterfly. Christians were created by God to die to obtain life. We cannot say all is for Christ unless you have been buried and raised with Christ. And this passage, along with like Romans 6, I mean, another great cross-reference here. A Christian's baptism mimics the actual physical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's no accident that we need to be constantly reminded that our life in Christ results from being buried with Christ. We read in this verse that your life is also hidden with Christ. Now, that sounds a little odd. Not that I'm, aware, I'm not aware of that language being used anywhere else in, in Scripture, hidden with Christ, or in Christ. The, the simple explanation is that through your spiritual death, Christ became a part of every aspect of your life. Your spiritual death causes you to be hidden with Christ, which exemplifies the love of God actually for you. Now, when I first heard that, 
you know, what does this have to do with the love of God? My, my mind went to Augustine, who explains the connection between death being hidden and love. Here's what Augustine said. About this kind of death, the apostle said, for you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Perhaps about this it was said, strong as death is love. For by this love it comes to pass, dwelling in this still corruptible body, we die to this world and our life. So we die to this world and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Nay, rather, love itself is our death to the world and our life with God. Because of the love of God, you now abide with Christ. That's John 15. Because of the love of God, you are now in Christ. Go to Ephesians 1. Christian, your death resulted in you being hidden in Christ. Bottom line is your life needs to be all about Christ. My life should not be all about Sean Powers. Right? My life should not be about meeting expectations that other people place upon me at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, my life needs to be all about Jesus Christ. Now here's the heart check for all of us. Like, like we can do inventory. Can you identify any area of your life that is not all of Christ? If you are anything like me, it does not take long to find an area where we vainly cling to other things. We say things like, you know, I'll give Jesus these areas of my life, but this one over here, it's like my precious, you know. Go all Lord of the Rings on it. Here are several probing thoughts for you. Are you wrapped up in your profession more than being hidden in Christ? Are you wrapped up more in your hobby than being committed to Christ? Are you more concerned with your bank account than realizing everything you own belongs to Christ? Is Sean Powers more concerned and wrapped up in his ministry, being a pastor, than being hidden with Christ? Because that can happen. Once you are buried and raised with Christ... The rest of your life is hidden in Christ. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian, you can be assured that God does not undo the things that he has done for you through Christ. You cannot, you cannot work your way backwards to be unraised or unburied or unhidden. No. Like this is the really good news of what we read in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. God keeps you for the rest of eternity. Therefore, you live a life all for Christ and all for life. The Apostle John uses different terminology, but he makes the same point. Let's go to the Gospel of John. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay, my, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They're going to come. There's other sheep who are not of this fold, and they will come. I must bring them also, Jesus says, and they will. They will not maybe, not might, they will listen to my voice. So there is one flock and one shepherd. And then a few verses later, just because this passage is so powerful. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Your life, that's what Paul is saying, your life is hidden with Christ. There's so much security in that statement as a Christian. It provides so much rest, so much comfort. It helps us to put our striving actually into perspective. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ in your life, you can rest because of what he's done. To reinforce the point, the Apostle Paul reminds us of several key distinctions. Prior to being raised with Christ, you were living for the things of the earth. So before moving forward, I think it's important to remember that the things of this earth were initially made good. Right? The things of this earth were initially made good. God did not give mankind a, a broken snow globe to live in and said, here, deal with it. What happened is that God gave mankind a good and beautiful place to live, a place of perfect peace and purity. But because of sin, mankind has taken a jackhammer to God's creation. How, how can we mess this up? I got to, you know, that's basically what happened. I can mess this up. The, the list of vices is listed at the beginning of verse 5. These vices are sins, and living out these vices is what it looks like to live for the things of the earth. I'm not going to go into detail with all these vices, but let's be confronted with reality, right? Here's how mankind is rebelling against God. I'm just going right down the list. Sexual morality. We can talk about that all day because that manifests itself in sinful ways in so many different ways. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is said to be idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. You know, when you, when you leave Radiant Elementary, will the decisions you make reflect heaven or earth? You're confronted with these particular sins, these vices. And actually, if we continue to read Colossians 3, we get into what Paul says is what it looks like to live for Christ. But the question remains, when you leave, will the decisions you make you make reflect heaven or earth, the things of heaven or the things of earth. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, while we were combing through the Lord's Prayer, we want to pray and make decisions where the will of heaven is being reflected on earth. For every vice is a virtue, and Christians have an opportunity to live a virtuous life before God in the world. So live for the things of heaven and not of the things of earth. How is it possible for you, Christian, to see heaven and earth? Well, it begins with the life and work of Jesus Christ. We focus on Christ. At the incarnation of Jesus Christ, heaven came to earth in a very distinct and special way. But since Christ's ascension back into heaven, the church is empowered to help see earth look more like heaven. Now, let's get to the second distinction. The second distinction in Colossians 3 is between the old self and the new self. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The uh, Greek word for self here is actually anthropos, which is man. Um, man, think mankind. 
The difference might seem insignificant, but a literal reading of verses 9 to 10 helps us to visualize the concept of a whole new identity, like a whole new skin, a new and different composition. Verses 9 and 10 tell us that your broken nature is being renewed into the image of Christ. You're being renewed into the image of the one who created the universe. Because of the destructive, destructive nature of sin, again, think Genesis 3 when sin was introduced and entered the world. Because of the destructive nature of sin, God's image bearers are marred with dirt. God's image bearers are like covered with grease. Sin has the ability to degenerate what was initially made good and beautiful. But in Christ, but in Christ, the old man is put to death and the new man is awakened. The mission of Jesus Christ was to redeem image bearers back to what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. Faith in Jesus Christ helps the Christians to know how the second Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam, has overcome the sin of the first Adam. For those of you who uh, joined Redemption Hill more recently, I'm not, I'm not sure how much you know of my story. Uh, before, I won't go into all the details. We'd be here a long, long time. Before the Lord saved me, man, I was rebellious. It's a hot mess. I lived for the things of this world, which also meant I lived for myself. And man, I got to tell you, oh, how I love the things of this world, if I'm being honest. I made mistakes, yeah, horrible mistakes, mistakes that I'm ashamed to talk about. The old self took advantage to indulge at every turn. My old self gave little thought to the consequences of my actions and the trail of ashes and tears that I left behind. However, I was a man, an old man, in a sense, full of pain and the cause of much pain. But I will never forget the day God killed that old man by his grace and mercy. For some of you, I always say this, I always, whenever I tell part of my story, I always make this additional statement. When the Lord saved me, you can see the dr dramatic, the drama. I'd rather my kids, though, raise, grow up like my wife than me. Grow up to know the Lord. But I'll, I will never forget the day that God killed that old man by his grace and mercy. At that moment, God breathed life into a new man. A new man emerged and is now hidden in Christ. One could also say that after the Lord saved me, that I could still struggle with sin. That is certainly the case, right? This is true. Look again at the vices in Colossians 3. Do you struggle with any of those sins, right? So the sin that entangled the old man may still be a hindrance in the new man. But there are, there are several massive differences between how the old and the new man relate to sin. The old man was hopeless. The new man has every reason to hope because of Christ. The old man was crushed by the burden of sin. 
The new man has been forgiven of sin because of Christ. The old man was controlled by the power of sin. The new man has been set free from the power of sin because of Christ. The old man deserves to be condemned for disobedience to Christ. The new man is hidden in Christ and therefore no longer condemned, Romans 8.1. The old man was heading headlong to hell. The new man receives all the heavenly blessings that are given through Christ. Ephesians 1. The old man lives for himself and knows how empty it is to live for the self. The new man lives for Christ and receives the riches and rewards from God. The reason why these vices are in our Bible is to help us to see the problem, yes, but also the remedy. These vices are what it looks like to not live for Christ. They are reminders and warnings. But the remedy is laid down brick by brick in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Oftentimes we talk about sin, and rightfully so. There is, there is a temptation to perhaps bang the pulpit and tell people just to get in line. And to a degree, warnings are appropriate. appropriate. But do you want to know why people continue to sin? It's enjoyable. Throwing it out there. Sin is pleasurable. Sin often has short, gives short-term gratification without a care for the long-term consequences, right? Like, for example, I could blow up in anger, unjust anger, right? And in that moment of anger, I feel like I won. Long-term, what have I done with my words to that other individual? probably inflicted a lot of pain. That's what sin does. I might be able to walk around with my chest puffed out for about five minutes. And then I sit down and I realize, man, I just caused a whole lot of damage. So what is the remedy to overcoming sin? Ultimately, overcoming sin is being discovered by someone who is more enjoyable The things of heaven are immensely more satisfying than the fleshly desires of this earth. Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, verse 1, invites you to enjoy all of his heavenly blessings while you you live on this earth. I mean, you want to know why AA meetings don't work out very well for a lot of people? Because at the end of the day, they're missing the one who is more pleasurable. It's Christ. That's how you overcome The point is even more pronounced in verse 11. Man, we read these beautiful words. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Now, the mistake is often made when approaching this passage That because of Christ, a person ceases to be Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. I mean, like that's that's actually a horrible take. That's a ridiculous take. Like, when someone is circumcised, you can't walk that one back. Like, the deed's been done. If a person is born a Jew, they remain an ethnic Jew. Perhaps not a religious Jew, but an ethnic Jew. So what we are bumping into in is this beautiful reality that God's elect people 
are not a monolithic ethnic group. God's people cannot be defined by skin color. God's people are not defined a person's economic lot in life. God's people are characterized by a group of people who say with conviction that all of Christ is my life. All of Christ is my life. God's people should express with joy. My single desire is to receive all that God has for me in Christ. These words at the end of verse 11 express the lordship of Christ over a person who is hidden in Christ. Christ is all and in all. Uh, The Greek behind the English is actually more pronounced. We don't quite see it as clearly in the English. Christ is all and in everything, not in a pantheistic type of way, but he is sovereign over everything. Christ is the sovereign Lord over your life and the sovereign Lord over every particle of this universe. We rejoice at all of Christ in our lives because of what he has done on our behalf. Now in closing, perhaps it's because I'm a pastor, but I often hear the question, what kind of church do you go to? I go to Redemption Hill, right? And if you know, you're a Southern Baptist, you can point to something. I go to a Southern Baptist church, and some people have a context for that. Or I go to a PCA church, and some people have a context for that. So denominational labels can be helpful. Our denomination is not very big, so people are kind of like, show me, send me the website. <laughs> we are a young church, so many people in the Des Moines metro do not know we exist. Many folks in the Des Moines metro have heard about Lutheran Church of Hope, right? Like, oh yeah, I've heard that. They did that one thing, whatever. So what is Redemption Hill Church all about? Like, the elevator speech, how would you respond? You got, you got 45 seconds between the first floor and the third floor. And somebody asks you. Redemption Hill, and I don't want us to be ashamed to talk about this and say it, Redemption Hill Church is all about Christ. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation of this church. The pithy little statement that I've been trying to sell you, all of Christ for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro, is empty words if we genuinely, genuinely do not believe that every aspect of this church is for Christ and leads us back to Christ. Redemption Hill Church, Redemption Hill, is a church that declares Jesus Christ as Savior, and we surrender to Jesus as Lord over all. That is who we are, and that is what we are all about. And we should not be apologetic about why we're here and why we exist. All of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.